Before we start today, I just want to um, invite you into something that I've been experiencing. You know, in preparation for this series and just in where I am in my life, I have been fixated on this idea of what it means to be in the presence of God, to be truly and remarkably in his presence. And I feel like when we are in these moments um, of worship, corporate worship, like what, what we're just stepping out from together, I feel like it is as silly as it seems or as counterintuitive as it seems, it's as though somebody turns down the volume and turns off the lights. And it's like being in that quiet and dark space, right? So any bit of light or any, any sound is magnified because you're just so in tune with the way that you're sensing things around you. And my prayer for us today is that the experience that we had in worship together, that it would prepare us, that it would usher us into, that it would set us up to experience this, the fullness of the presence of God. So I pray that over all of you today. May, you, may your guard be down. May your heart be softened so that you, so that we together as a church can experience the fullness of your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the theory of a blessed life is absolutely fascinating. It's been a, a real treat to, to dig into that. But I assure you, I promise you, that walking the blessed life out is the, the greatest, the most amazing, the, the most incredibly challenging journey that you will ever take. In fact, it is the only journey you will ever take where every step is worthwhile. I promise you that. Now, there is this uh, thing that we have. We, it's a, it's, it's a comp- compilation of things. There's all these things that, that come together to make us who we are. And, and when you put together that collage, when you fully assemble it, it's something that you know, some of us might call our identity, right? So if I was meeting somebody for the first time, there's a, a particular part of my identity that would be likely for me to reveal to that person. You know, I'll often say, oh, I'm a dad, I, I'm a father, and I, I've got three boys, right? Now, there are some assumptions that that person can make, some really wise and informed things that they would know about me with that simple little phrase that talks about my identity. They would know that, uh, I know there's, I recognize that there's many ways to become a father, but, but that they would assume, and, and rightly so, that, that my biology is half in three boys, right? They would also know that uh, with maybe utter certainty here, that my household is rambunctious and alive, and the volume is turned to max at all times. I mean, those are assumptions that you can make. But when you live out being a father, it can look a lot of different ways. 
Now, I want to just, uh, you know, bring you back to, to an experience that I've been having recently. Right now, on Saturday mornings, in the, in the morning, sometimes drifting into the afternoon, I am a basketball dad. Now, this is something that I never really thought that I had on my horizon. You see, I never played organized basketball unless you count the 1993 championship team of which I was a part of for intramural basketball at St. John's University. But I don't really count that. Nobody should. I lost the teacher, so it's not true. But, but there are these moments where you are, um, you know, you, you just get to be a dad in those moments, right? And so instead of being the person providing instruction, which is always best for the coach to provide, I get to say things like, great shot, way to hustle, man, nice screen. And sometimes I even know what that means as I say it. But I get to be 100% encouragement and 0% correction or instruction. But as I sit on the sidelines and painting the picture that maybe you're familiar with is there's this set of folding chairs on the opposite side of a little tiny basketball court in a middle school somewhere across the, from the benches that the teams are sitting on. As I sit over there, there are all of these opportunities for me to engage in other things besides the game that's happening on the court. You see, I don't know about you, but I carry around a computer uh, with me everywhere I go. Resides in my pocket even as I stand up here. And when, when, the, uh, when the volume is turned off or the notifications are turned off, there's still like this slight buzz that I can feel as things are happening. And so I'll feel that buzz and I'll wonder, oh, is that an email that needs to be dealt with right now? Or I'll, I'll hear that buzz or feel that buzz and I'll be like, oh man, that's a call that's coming in. If somebody's calling me on a Saturday morning, it's probably pretty urgent. I probably need to deal with that right now. Or maybe my mind can even sometimes wander and it's like, oh, the windshield repair that I have scheduled this week for my son's car you know, I, did I remember to follow up on that? If I follow up on it now, I can be certain that it's ready for him when we have to meet him to exchange cars back. And any one of those 1,000 moving parts of our lives can be running through my mind as I sit there at a game. But if I allow those distractions to mute my experience... What I am is not anymore a basketball dad, but I am something entirely different. I am mentally absent in that moment. Now, that mentally absent right there um, would mean that when it's approaching the end of the half, and my son takes the rebound down in the defensive side of the court, and he dribbles as quickly as his little nine-year-old legs can take him to half court, and heaves up a beautiful shot with time running out in the half, and misses just barely. When I am mentally absent in that moment, I don't get to share the joy of seeing his excitement even in a miss 
and being able to, to tell him right after that moment how proud I am, how awesome he is. I miss that experience if I'm mentally distracted. Now, does mentally distracted or mentally absent, does that mean anything different about that definition that I gave regarding myself to that person that I meet for the very first time? Not really. You know, if there's a DNA test that they take, then it would be uh, very evident that these kids are mine. I mean, you can look at them and you can see that we share DNA. You know, it doesn't mean if I'm mentally absent, it doesn't mean that they no longer are covered on my health insurance, right? But when I'm mentally absent, there's all the experience and the joy that I miss out in the moment. In this series, Blessed, we have worked together at discovering all the counts of these blessed moments. We looked at God and, and his walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. We looked at Abraham, his wife, Sari, and, and how they were blessed so that they could be a blessing. And what we have discovered is this thread that runs through all of these stories and all throughout God's word when it comes to this blessing idea. And that is that living a blessed life is less about pursuing after the experience of blessing and more about pursuing after the presence of God. In fact, the blessed life exists in one place, and that is the presence of God. And I think that there is a real danger in lulling ourselves into complacency and, and dulling our experience of the goodness of God when Christians mute the fullness of God's presence through mental absence and spiritual absence. We go to the basketball game. And we get sucked into all the wrong things. We come into the throne room with God with our phones in front of our face and then wonder to ourselves why we aren't experiencing what we expect from the blessed life that comes from him. One critical barrier comes when we expect, when we expect the blessings of God to lead us into the presence of God kind of the flip-flop of what we've been talking about, but we do it all the time. And it comes out in how we judge people, how we look at other people's circumstances. Man, man, I wish I had what they had, what they have. You know, if I had that type of financial security, man, it would be so much easier, so much easier to see God's blessing in my life. But the truth is, the blessed life, uh, that when we live a blessed life, we live out from, not into, God's presence. Martin Luther was a German monk in the Catholic Church whose rebellion was to move away from a system of paying for forgiveness, financially paying for forgiveness, and into what he understood God's word to say about the free gift 
of salvation and forgiveness that comes through the person of Jesus by grace to those with faith. Martin Luther delivered the Bible, the word of God, to the common person by by translating it into a language that the common person, the, the regular person could read. That language was German for him. Martin Luther is for whom our denomination takes its name. And so when Martin Luther takes offense to a particular passage and in particular author within the entirety of the Bible, it's important for us to stop and to look closer at maybe what he's seeing and look closer at the whole narrative of God's word. Now, the verse in particular, out of the book in particular, that Martin Luther particularly pushed against was James, and in particular, James 2.17. It says this, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Or how many of us maybe have memorized this as children, if you are, uh, grew up in the church, faith without works is dead. Now, while I would never put myself in the category of theologian like Martin Luther... I wonder if it is an outside-in versus inside-out misunderstanding. Could it be that, the, that James, the author of that letter, could it be that he was asserting that while works do not achieve faith, they are the clearest outward sign, the clearest characteristic evidence of a life lived by faith? And so if we continue down that road, like actions or works, are the real-life characteristics of faith. I believe that it was the writers of Psalms that give us a real-life characteristic to see, to understand, that comes out of, that's lived out of a blessed life. The Bible is made up of 66 books, letters, collections, written by 35 different authors over a period of approximately 1,500 years. And they're all inspired by God. And the Psalms, what we're going to look at closer today, is a collection of poems and lyrics and verse written primarily by David, of David and Goliath, but grouped together, including other authors, and they're all grouped together because they're written in a like style and a like purpose. And just as the meaning of poetry and music can be deepened beyond just the words on the page, so too are the Psalms are filled with deep meaning as they give us insight into the, into the character, the, the impossibly expansive character of God. And they give us insight into the, this beautiful picture painted that is God's people. And it's that second piece, the, the beautiful picture that's painted of God's, pic, uh, God's people that I think gives us the clearest picture that creates a character profile of the blessed life. The profile of a blessed life for us in real life. In the Psalms, there are 51 instances where that word blessed is used. And each time, it's surrounded with a further description of what this profile could look like. And as we work together through those 51 pieces of scripture today, of course not, right? 
you go, hey guys, I'll just check your watch. And you thought, okay, I got somewhere to be and all that kind of stuff. But I took and I, I looked at the different themes and I broke them down. And I thought it would be fun for us to look at four particular ones. And, and we zoomed in on those passages and Psalms that begin with this phrase. Blessed is the one who, right? Blessed is the one who, and then iconically right after is that picture that's painted of what it looks like to live a blessed life. And if you're wondering where this this process, where this profile begins being built, it is in the very first verses that are the Psalms. Psalms 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. In these first verses of Psalm 1, we see two paths that are defined. The first path is, is, is the path of accompanied in step with the wicked, with with those who sin and with those who are mockers or are like to gather around the, the ridicule of others. And then there's contrast made with that path, with another path, except that second path is one that is illuminated by the word of God, by the law of God, the blessed path. Never before in our culture and in our world, has it been so easy to, to be united around wickedness, to be united around sin, to, to be united around a common hatred, mockers, to be joining in to that mockery. You see, this is a proven strategy in politics and advertising that permeates every aspect of our lives. But the blessed life lives entirely on the second path, the one illuminated by the law. So the fullness of a blessed life is realized on that second path when we meditate on the law day and night. You see, in the Bible, there are sections and chapters and entire books that are dedicated exclusively to documenting the law. Some of the driest and hardest to read sections of scripture But God's law can only be understood through the lens that is Jesus, for whom the entirety of the Bible culminates in. And so if we are to meditate on this law day and night, we need to be familiar with Jesus and ultimately familiar with the entirety of the Bible. And You can't be familiar with the Bible without reading it or listening to it. And so like many truths of the Bible, these two verses that we're looking at at the very beginning of Psalms, they provide a key to applying this specific truth of God to our real lives. Do you want to realize the fullness of what it means to live a blessed life? Well, then read your Bible. But I say that and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that reading a Bible, that reading the Bible, it could be challenging. It could be time consuming. It's a, it's a big book. It can be 
complicated. I know a lot of people wonder about where to start and how to get going. But reading the Bible doesn't have to be that way. About 20 years ago, actually a little over 20 years ago, there was a mentor of mine who encouraged me to read through the Bible during the course of a year, to read through the Bible in a year. I picked up my Bible because I I respected this man so greatly and he had such a tremendous influence on my life. And I I read through and I, I, I dug in and I tried. But it was confusing, it was hard, and it took a ton of time. Or at least more time than I expected. And I quit. And in a conversation where I was lamenting the fact that I just didn't love reading the Bible. You know, I wished I loved reading the Bible like I liked reading good fiction. I wished I loved reading the Bible like I I loved watching a great movie. And he said, well, why don't you pray that you fall in love with God's word in that way? And I remember him telling that to me, and I remember thinking that's, It almost sounds kind of silly. How do you fall in love with something like that? But I prayed it anyways. And it was amazing to me what that unlocked for me. It's just a few weeks later, and I was finding myself not just doing the discipline, the hard work of reading the Bible, but I was actually looking forward to it. And it's a passion that was ignited in me then, that continues to this day. And so wherever you are and you're reading the Bible, if there was hope for me to fall in love with it, there's hope for you. Now the opposite of a blessed life we talked about a couple weeks ago is this idea of a cursed life. And a cursed life looks like somebody in step with that first path person, right? The wicked, the sinners, the mockers. And so the blessed life, in contrast, is to realize that it looks like somebody who keeps in step instead of with the mockers, the sinners, the the wicked, keeps in step with God's system. God's system of his word revealed through his law. The blessed life keeps in step with God's system. But every life, whether blessed, cursed, or completely indifferent, is filled with challenges and successes. It's filled with ups and downs. So it is essential that the blessed life, that we realize hope when we fall. So we zoom forward to Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. And again, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. See, the Bible reminds us of these facts about ourselves, these part of our identity, that that we all sin, that we all fall short, that nobody in this room, nobody in this world is immune to sin. But the blessed life is lived when we walk instead of the sin, when we walk in forgiveness. 
and how much more confidence we can have today than even the writers of the Psalms because we have confidence in knowing that Jesus died for our sins and as a result, those who believe in him are forgiven. But when you're considering uh, what this walking in forgiveness looks like, I, I encourage you to imagine it like looking at the facets of a diamond. Three different facets, three different ways to look at it. The first one being this, that, that that first facet of walking in forgiveness is a full realization of the pain of sin. The pain that it causes in your own life, the pain that it causes in the lives of those around you, a full realization of that pain of sin. And then as you turn that stone and you look at that second facet, that second facet is this, a complete trust in the person of Jesus that no matter what it is that caused that pain, that you trust that Jesus is enough, that he truly died on the cross for that pain that you caused in yourself and in other people for your sin, that you trust that to be true. And then as we turn that diamond, the most brilliant facet of that diamond is that we would walk in the freedom of the certainty that that sin doesn't overshadow your life. Facet one, we understand fully the pain of that sin. Facet two is that we trust completely Jesus and the work he did for us on the cross. And that third facet is the exciting one is maybe what we can see clearest in our lives when we walk in the freedom that comes after we break that bondage or God breaks that bondage of sin in our life. You see, the profile of a blessed life is someone who receives God's forgiveness. Now, the third profile characteristic is a reminder of a central theme of this entire series. We skip forward just a few chapters to Psalm 118, 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. See, the, the blessed life begins and ends with God's presence. That's what we've been talking all about these last three weeks. The blessed life is inspired by, flows out from time spent in the presence of God. In this verse, in Psalm 118, the author creates a profile of a person who is Lord's ambassador. And I love, there are translations that use that terminology right here. Lord's ambassador, as an ambassador, the blessed life is lived as a representative of one nation or kingdom in the land of another. The blessed life is lived out from God's kingdom, out from God's presence, because it is grounded in God's name. The basis, the home base that we go out from, the blessed life is grounded in God's name. And like any good profile or maybe any good sermon, 
The final characteristic is the one that ties it all together. It's like the perfect pair of shoes that pulls your outfit all together. Something I know nothing about, just so you know. But it pulls it all together. It holds the whole blessed life together. In Psalm 119.2, we read these words. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. This is a repeated theme throughout, throughout the entire Bible. Wholehearted seeking is what draws us into and reveals the blessed life in God's presence. I'm just going to rattle off a few of these moments. Deuteronomy 6.5, quoted in Matthew 22.37, in Mark 12.30, in Luke 10.27, love the Lord your God with your whole heart. 1 Samuel 12.20, 1 Chronicles 28.9, serve the Lord with your whole heart. My favorite, Deuteronomy 4.29 and Jeremiah 29, 13, seek the Lord your God and you will find him when you seek him with your whole heart. Give thanks with your whole heart. Obey with your whole heart. Turn to the Lord with your whole heart. Your whole heart matters infinitely to God. So when you are in that quiet place, when you get to that place of utter sincerity within yourself, a place that you can't even lie to yourself in, a place that is complete honesty, perfect authenticity. It is there, in that place, that we seek after God with our whole heart. And when we pursue this place, we discover, we walk in the blessed life. The profile of a blessed life in real life keeps in step with God's system, receives God's forgiveness, is grounded in God's name, and maybe most importantly, seeks wholeheartedly after God. So do you want to start seeing a blessed life in your life, in your real life? At Redeemer, the terminology we use here is that it's about taking that first step and saying yes to Jesus. There's another way that we say yes in this room and online. And that second way is we say yes to more of, in greater measure, in greater clarity, seeing these signs of a blessed life in our own life. And for that, too, today, I invite you to say yes. And to do that, I just want to ask you to do one thing along with me, and that is to pray this prayer out loud with your eyes closed and your, your head bowed, and that you would repeat each of these phrases after me. Heavenly Father, sorry that I have sinned against you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Please send your Holy Spirit to live in me. Today, I say yes to following you. Amen. Please, if you would, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. If you said yes 
today for the very first time, or if you said yes to seeing more of the evidence of God's blessing in your life, I would just ask that you would raise your hand right now. Thank you. You can put your hands down. You can open your eyes again. You know, I was struggling as I walked up here today. Struggling because I was caught up in this idea that worship was somehow preparing something special for all of you. And so in this moment, as we as we finish our time together, as we remember back to when the, the music played or, or when we had a, a different type of experience with God, my prayer for you, for me, is that as the volume went down, as the, the lights dimmed, that you had a very real sense that you truly are because it's true in the presence of God. In the presence of God. Now, if you said yes today, even if you didn't raise your hand, I want to invite you to to a table right over here. It's a blue table. And at that blue table, there's somebody who can help you with what it means to take a next step in your walk. There's somebody that can pray for you in the circumstances that might be barriers to, to finding what it is that, that God is calling you into. Online, you can go to redeemermn.org slash next steps. And right there, there are opportunities to engage with, with your walk and your faith so that you can too take a next step with Jesus. Because a blessed life is available to all of us when we pursue the presence of God. I want to invite you to to stand. And as we close today, I want to pray a blessing over all of you. Words given by God to Moses through Aaron for all of God's people then and now. I want to pray these words over each of us as we look for, as we pursue, as we go after this thing that is the presence of God. May the Lord bless you, keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Live a blessed life.